So it was 1994 when one of the deadliest riots in the La Mesa State Penitentiary broke out in a uh, prison in Tijuana, Mexico. And it was uh, in that prison that they had some of the, the worst criminals in all of Mexico. Uh, they had over 2,500 inmates, but not only inmates. Uh, on the same prison compound, they also housed the wives and children of many of these men. So over 7,500 people were living there in addition to the guards uh, and, and the staff of the prison. And it was during this, this outbreak uh, that on, on the top floor of the prison, uh, where the containment cells for, for the most isolated individuals were the, the punishment cells, uh, that this riot broke out and it began. Uh, and, and as the prisoners uh, had an opportunity, uh, they stole keys from a guard, they knocked the guard out, stole his gun, his weapon, uh, and they began a riot. Uh, and they began to slowly work their way down the different levels of the prison. Outside and in the yard, the, the women and the children uh, who, who also lived there, they looked up and they began to see fire and smoke coming out of the top windows of this prison. And it was about that time that the warden and the guards decided to abandon the prison, to turn it over to the, to the inmates. And so they shut off the power and all the guards left, uh, and the prisoners were now in control of this prison, in Tijuana, the La Mesa State Penitentiary. And it was about that time that Mother Antonia returned back to the prison. Mother Antonia was a woman who had a uh, desire to, to spend her life dedicated to God. Uh, she wanted to become part of a religious order, but the Catholic Church turned her away because she had two previous marriages that both ended in divorce. And so Mother Antonia founded her own religious order. She began to work at the prison. And each and every day she would go and she would visit these inmates, uh, some of the worst inmates in all of the Mexican prison system. She would bring them blankets or an extra meal, because it wasn't guaranteed that at this prison that they'd have all their needs met and taken care of. And so Mother Antonia, for, for years, served uh, as this mother uh, to these boys, to these inmates. And over time, they began to call her mother, meaning mom, not just because she was a nun, but mother because they felt like they were her sons. So Mother Antonia, on that night in 1994, returned back to the prison and asked the warden if she could enter the prison. The warden said, no, of course not, you can't, you can't go in there, you'll, you'll, uh, danger will come to you, harm will come to you, uh, we're not going to send anyone in. But she persisted, and finally convinced the warden to let her into the prison. She began to go into the prison, calling out, my sons, my sons. And as the inmates heard her voice, they quickly gathered around her, trying to form a shield so that she wouldn't be harmed, so that she would be protected. And she slowly made her way through the prison until she got to that top floor where fires had been set and the riot had begun. She called out when she reached the top of the stairs and said, My sons, give me the guns. Give me your weapons. And they called back to her, Mother Antonia, as soon as we heard your voice, we dropped the guns out the window. And just like that, one of the deadliest riots in that prison's history was ended. Mother Antonia had convinced these men that she cared for them and that she loved them. And so they ended the riot. The riot had begun, it turns out, because for days these inmates had been neglected. No food or water had come to them. So when an opportunity presented itself, they began to take over the prison because they were hungry and they were thirsty. Of course, no one knew that until Mother Antonia entered that prison. Mother Antonia dedicated much of her life to working at La Mesa State Penitentiary. For 17 years before that riot broke out, and then for 13 more years after it. For 30 years, she worked in the Mesa State Penitentiary. It's a beautiful story, 
A story that communicates love to people who often don't experience love. A story of a woman who decided to take seriously the call of God on her life. Over the past several weeks, uh, and finishing today, we've been in a series called Family Matters, where we talk about what it means to be the family of God, that we are our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have the opportunity to share God's love with ourselves uh, here in this assembly and in our own midst, and uh, in the life groups that we host, and the Bible classes, and the opportunities that we have to, to get together for meals and to spend time with one another. But church is so much more than just what we do here. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because what God desires for the world is that they will come to know and participate in God's being. Participate in God's being in unexpected and unlikely places like in the La Mesa State Penitentiary in 1994 during one of the most deadly riots. We have the opportunity to present God's love to the world. So today, we are God's family. God's sons and daughters, God's children, who are given an opportunity to participate with God in reaching this world with God's message of hope and love, of grace and justice, of peace and righteousness. At the end of the Gospels, Jesus uh, has spent his time uh, with, with the disciples, with, with them ministering to them, ministering to the people of Israel and to others. He's gone to the cross, and he's defeated the cross. He's come out from the grave. And at the end of the Gospels, Jesus tells his disciples in several different ways and in several different places how important it is for them to participate in what God is doing in the world. In Matthew chapter 28, one of the most famous examples of this, the Great Commission, uh, at the end of, of Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus has these words to say to his disciples, starting in verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and he spoke to them. I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. At the end of Matthew's, Gospels, uh, Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, Jesus thinks it's important enough to include his disciples, to tell them that this is what it's all been leading to. That everything that we've done together, everything you've witnessed me do, I'm now turning over to you. Go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them. Baptize them in my name. And know that I will be with you through it all. Luke records things a little bit differently at the end of his gospel. Uh, but I think we see a similar theme come through at the end of Luke. Uh, in Luke 24, starting in verse 44, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and a change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus in Luke tells them, a change of heart is what's required. That you must go and help other people understand the things that I have now revealed to you. That you can begin to show them what it is that I've done Luke continues uh, this theme in the, God, in the uh, sorry, in the story of Acts, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Spirit, uh, and, and the disciples are wondering. Uh, in the first chapter of Acts, and Jesus is still there with them, and they wonder, uh, what has this all meant? What are we supposed to do now? And so they ask Jesus a question. Uh, they ask him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? They want to know if, if the kingdom of Israel, if, if Jesus is going to come into power, if he's going to, to reinstate this nation. And Jesus answers in verse 7. 
It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, as he's about to go back to the Father in heaven, that what it is that they're to do is to go, to share the story, to spread the good news, to let others know what it is that Jesus has done for them. Even John, uh, John writes his gospel a little bit differently than all the other gospels, but John gets in on this theme too. At the end of the gospel of John, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. Uh, and Peter has denied Jesus, he's, he's uh, rejected Jesus publicly, and, and Jesus comes back to Peter after his resurrection and, and begins to tell Peter to feed his sheep, to take care of his lambs. Jesus has this desire that the disciples, the apostles, and the people who are coming after him will continue the story, will share the message so that it will continue on. And the point that Jesus wants us to understand is to take the mission of God, to share the good news that he has preached to all people of all nations, and to extend an invitation to everyone to become a follower of Jesus. And from that time on, from that moment on, the church was begun. The church was instituted because now they had a mission, they had a goal, they had a purpose. And Jesus wants them to join with what God is doing. But not only was the church begun at that point, we learned a valuable lesson from Jesus at this point. As he empowers us, as he commissions us, as he commands us to go to others, we learn that the church does not exist for the people who are on the inside. The church exists for the people outside the ones who aren't here this morning, the ones who aren't in these walls, the church has always existed to share the message of what Jesus has done with those who need to hear it. And so, really, when you begin to think about this, when you begin to, to contemplate what it means for us today, really, it's, it's a pretty amazing goal that Jesus has given to us. A pretty amazing fact that Jesus has included us in this story. That Jesus wants us to participate with him, with God. It's an amazing story. Because for almost all of history, when you look at the church, over and over again, we've messed up. We've gotten it wrong. I mean, right off the bat, uh, the early church had so many different problems. Every church uh, that we know about in the New Testament has problems. Uh, to the point where Paul and the other authors of the New Testament have to write to them to help them understand what the gospel means for them in their lives at that moment. So they write these letters telling them to, to refuse to be selfish, to, to resist their sexual urges, to, to change the way that they're living, to, to take communion and to take it seriously, to take it together as one people. Over and over again, we get these examples from the New Testament of how the early church missed it, how they didn't understand what God was doing. And then you fast forward a couple hundred years, and, and now all of a sudden Christianity is on the rise. Uh, they're, they're part of the, the empire. Uh, Christianity has been recognized as a religion of the empire. And, and all of a sudden you have these groups of people who go out to the wilderness and they create these monastic communities because they have begun to see and begun to understand that in order for them to understand who God is and to see God at work in the world, they need to, to take a step back and to focus on God. Not to focus on the institution, not to focus on, on Christianity and, and its role in the empire, but to, to focus solely on who God is. And so they, they move back, they retreat into the wilderness and they create these monastic communities. And you fast forward another couple hundred years and all of a sudden you have stories of Inquisitions and crusades of manifest destiny. You look at our world today, 
you see the divisive nature that our country is in right now, of the racism, of the segregation, of all the different things that are going on. And you begin to wonder, why did God invite us to participate? Because it doesn't seem like we've done a great job throughout history. But the truth is that God has invited us. That's the story that we participate in. It's the story that we are here today to affirm in one another. That God has invited us to participate in what God is doing. Which is an amazing story. And it gives us a burden that we can only bear together. None of us can bear that burden on our own. We can only bear it in community. When you uh, look around and you begin to look at the research of why people are leaving the church today, uh, over and over again, the same uh, fact seems to come up, uh, seems to come forward. They're leaving the church not because they don't think that uh, Christianity is a good teaching, uh, not because it doesn't have something worthwhile uh, to present to their lives, uh, not because they think that Jesus is this crazy guy who had it all wrong. They're leaving the church because of the church, because of who the church has been and who it continues to be. It's a challenge for us today to recapture to re-envision ourselves as the people that God saw us as, as participants in the kingdom of God. See, I told you some of the bad stuff, but the truth is uh, that the church has also been faithful. Uh, over the same period of time, over the same 2,000 years, the church has had so many examples of people who were faithful, of stories uh, and events that have taken place that only have happened because of who Jesus is and who the church understands Jesus to be. Uh, one example comes to mind of uh, when, when the plague is ravaging Europe and people are, are fleeing cities that have uh, the plague has begun to, to infiltrate. People are fleeing these cities and the people who stay behind to take care of the sick, even if they aren't sick themselves, are the Christians. And for many of them, that meant that they also contracted the plague. And they were giving their very lives simply to take care of those who had gotten sick. And throughout history, there have been examples of men and women who have been so incredibly faithful. Uh, an example from our own community, just a few weeks ago, Dallas May returned from a trip to Zimbabwe. And uh, next week, I want to make sure that you know that Dallas is going to be sharing stories and pictures and videos of his trip to Zimbabwe to interact with other Christians in a different part of the world, uh, to help them uh, as they study the, the water situation in their village so that they can begin to understand how to work towards clean water. It's an amazing story. Thank you, Dallas, for going on behalf of our church. And I invite you to come and hear the story of what God is doing in Zimbabwe through this church, through our support of that village and our missionaries there. God cares about people in every place, in every part of the world. We've been given this opportunity to join in with what God is doing, to participate in the mission of God, to be God's missionaries in each and every place that we find ourselves. Because the truth is that we know that God desires for his creation to come home. God desires for us to be a true family. God desires for us to invite others to come and join at the table. So the question that we have to answer today and every day is what story are we going to tell? What story are we going to tell? Are we going to tell the story of Jesus? Or are we going to tell a different story? Perhaps a story where we are the main character where our desires and our, and our selfishness win the day. Perhaps we're going to tell a story where, where something that we care about becomes the most important thing. It might be a good thing, and yet it becomes the most important thing. Yet God invites us to tell the story of God. 
God invites us to share the message of Jesus with the world. That when you go to Starbucks, how many Starbucks drinkers do you have? Four. We got some work to do with honesty in this church. <laughs> when you go to Starbucks this week, then the people who are standing in line that you stand beside every day as you go to Starbucks, now maybe they just need to know that, that you uh, appreciate seeing them every day, and if you're always thinking about them and praying for them every day, or, or maybe the, the person behind the counter who's overworked and underpaid needs to know that day that you're thinking about them. Or maybe some of you ladies as you go to Bible study fellowship every week, as you study different parts of the gospel. Maybe you can share the message of God by just listening to the other women in the room. Making sure that they feel heard and valued. Maybe it's something more than just a conversation. Maybe God's calling you to give up something in your life. To make a sacrifice. To do something for God. Maybe God's asking you to be honest. Maybe God's calling you to do the difficult work of sharing the fact that you're struggling. That you need help. And this is why we're here. It's because we are the family of God, and God has commissioned us to exist for the people who are outside of us. That we exist for one another, and we exist for the people outside of these walls. And chances are, God is calling each and every one of us to something, whether large or small. And we have to answer the question. What story are we going to tell? I love the idea that God has trusted us to join in with what God's doing. That God has uh, given us an opportunity to share with what God is doing. I told you last week, uh, it's not a common story in our world today. There are not many people who invite us to come and participate in what they're doing. Instead, they, they ask us to, to lift them up, to raise them up, to look at how grand they are. But God doesn't ask us to do that. God asks us to come and participate, to come and join in, to come and help share the story. I think that means that God views us as worthwhile. That God created each and every one of us as a participant, as, as, a, as a co-worker, as somebody who, who God values and deeply desires to have a relationship and covenant. That God wants to work beside each and every one of us, not just for us or in spite of us, but that God wants to work beside us and with us. And for me, that gives me courage. Because for all the times throughout history that the church has failed, God still asks me to come for all the times that I've failed, God gives me another chance. He says, come and join what I'm doing in the world. Just like Mother Antonia. Chances are none of us are going to have an opportunity like Mother Antonia to spend 30 years of our lives uh, ministering in a prison uh, to some of the worst inmates in the Mexican prison system. We might not have a story that, that is that large to tell. But we have stories of faithfulness that we can tell each and every day. Stories of ways that we can participate in the mission of God. And we do it by inhabiting that world. At the beginning of God, John's Gospel, John tells us that Jesus came and made his home with us. That Jesus came and tabernacled with us. He uses language that, that the people of God can understand. Language that, that refers back to the tabernacle in Israel's history. Jesus came and tabernacled with us. He made our, his home with us. One of the first things that Mother Antonia did when she founded her religious order, when she answered the call of God on her life to go to that prison of La Mesa, state penitentiary, was to move in. Mother Antonia had not committed any crimes. She'd done nothing wrong. She wasn't even from Mexico. She was an American. But she moved to that prison 
She lived in a cell for 30 years beside those men because she wanted them to know Jesus has moved into your neighborhood. Jesus has come to dwell among you. And I'm moving into it. And so for 30 years, she lived among them and with them. To the point where she came to that room and said, my sons, give me the guns. And they told her they had already dropped them out the window. Because God has invited us to join in with the mission. God has invited us to move into the neighborhoods in which we live. To seek out the people that need to know what God has done for them. And the truth is that God has invited each and every one of us to his table. To come to the table with God. And so today, we're celebrating communion after the sermon. Because we have been invited to the table. And this is so beautiful because none of us have deserved to be invited. None of us should have received an invitation, and yet God extended that invitation to each and every one of us. And so today, as we respond to the message of God, as we respond to what God is doing among us, we're going to break bread together. And we're going to share the cup together. Because that's what it means to be a family. It's to share a meal with one another. And then today as you leave, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Because we are a family, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. As you leave today, we prepare cards with names of members of our church community. And the cards don't have everyone's name on it, they just have about a dozen names. I want you to pick one of those up today. And spend this next week in prayer for your brothers and sisters. Put it on your fridge or on your dashboard in your car or somewhere that you'll be reminded of who your family is and that they need to be encouraged, just like you do, to join in with what God is doing. So two things today. As we celebrate communion here in just a moment, remember that this is your family, but that God has invited us to the table so that we can invite others to come to the table too. And second, pray for them. Spend a moment this week, spend multiple moments this week, lifting each other up. Because we need the encouragement. We need the challenge. We need one another. Would you stand and worship with us?